and maintain it till we completely realize the Tata Gata's true meaning. Welcome to the second full day of this short session or long weekend retreat. Thank you for heeding the inner call to come and be spiritually uplifted. Our chant begins with silent and serene, forgetting words. Bright clarity appears before you. Silent and serene. Can you sense the underlying serenity peace in this room, in the meadow outside, in the earth beneath. It takes a quiet mind to be able to sense it. Can you breathe it in? The inner peace that's always there responds to it. It is always there no matter what is happening inside of you or in the world. It is always there no matter what is happening inside of you or in the world. When we were with our grandson in Disneyland and we've been there for three days and it's pretty hectic with all the people and running for running to get onto rides and yeah it's and and it's with people talking continually and moving around it's just like this mass of people um, we were sitting in a outdoor restaurant and i asked him he's 8 i said look out look out there at all those people look at that continual movement and all the noise and i said you know, sometimes we say that underneath all of that movement and all of that noise is peace. Can you feel that peace? And he, he thought for a moment or contemplated for a moment, and he said, yes, I can feel it. And I said, can you feel it in yourself? And again, he paused for a few minutes, and then he said, no. So I said, well, one day you will. So that's something we can cultivate in him. And that's the work we do here. If our actions, if our words come from that inner serenity, that inner peace, it makes a huge difference in the world compared to it coming from our inner confusion, our inner anger, our inner suffering. Forgetting words, these are what the Tibetans called pith instructions essential core instructions forgetting words it's said over and over again in our chants in different ways Dogen Zenji says to think non-thinking how do you think non-thinking non-thinking he says <laughs> non-thinking 
So it's not, it's not not thinking. That's not the translation. The translation is non-thinking, which is active. Actively not thinking. How to do that? We can only give you hints from our own experience. And our minds are not the same as your mind. What worked for us may not work for you. So you have to try out the hints that we give you and then be creative. Find out what works for you. Forgetting words is key. And it's not something that you're inventing. It's something that you are rediscovering, which is very wonderful. It's something that you once knew, that you were familiar with when you were a baby. When you were a baby, or sometimes you touch in on, in on it on a vacation day when you wake up and you realize, oh, there's nothing I need to do. And you just lie there in open awareness, quiet mind, happy heart. like being a baby, like being a baby in a crib, content, just aware of sensations. And maybe you'll be familiar with this again when you get old, forgetting words. My mother used to say, first the nouns go. I would say, first the names go, then the nouns go. And then maybe eventually, as we age further, all words go. And will you be grateful that you practice this ahead of time? Just sitting, nothing to do, nowhere to go, nothing to say, just aware and at ease. You can imagine how distressing that would be if you hadn't practiced and if you didn't know the peace and joy of just sitting. How to forget words. Well, there are many ways to forget words. One is to become more interested in something else besides the words in the mind. This may take some time. Our mind likes to lead us off to the distant past, to many imagined futures, to heroic fantasies. It's a habit that began when we were about two years old, as soon as words entered our mind and beca we became able to teach, to talk, to be taught, to talk and think. It may take some convincing of the mind. So as I mentioned the first day, to say to our mind, dear mind, you've been working so hard for me all of your life, night and day. Dreaming at night, working hard during the day. You deserve some rest. You'll be more productive. How to forget words. One way is to realize how they are tediously all about the same subject. About me. My past, my future, my hopes for a soulmate, my dreams of a better time than now, and a better place than right here. You know how boring it is to listen to people who go on and on and on and on about themselves? 
and how we're not bored when our mind goes on and on and on about us. Kyogen Carlson used to say, if you want to get people talking, just ask them about their favorite subject, themselves. So our favorite subject in our mind is ourself. Why is it that other people's endless discharge of thoughts is boring? But our endless discharge is honored and treasured. These are wonderful questions to ponder in practice. One practice as you sit for hours is to parse your thoughts by asking, oh, is this thought basically about me and my suffering, how to get rid of it, or me and my happiness and how to produce it or hold on to it? If the answer is yes, especially during a retreat, then just let it go. Go back to the practice of concentrating or back to relaxed, open mind. You can also ask your mind. So you see, when you're doing the asking, when you're doing the noticing and the asking, you're already in a bigger mind. You're in an aspect of big mind, expanded mind, original mind. The one that can look at what's happening, consider it, and make decisions about what to do. You're already in awareness. So you can, al- you can also ask, Is it really, really, really vitally important to think about this now? If not, let it go. And then there are various ways to imagine by letting it go. You can imagine putting it in a, like a helium balloon, like in cartoons, you know, where they have the thought bubble, and then just letting it float away. Or you can put, imagine putting it in a box, all these thoughts in a box, marked open later. And then if the mind keeps returning to its favorite subjects, then tell the mind, okay, at the end of this sitting period, you can think about it for 10 minutes. That's it, 10 minutes. Be efficient. You only have 10 minutes. And that's very interesting to see what happens. The mind is very tricky. Once we begin to lose interest in thinking about what really are silly things like What will we have for lunch? Why is that silly? Because all the thinking won't change what we have coming for lunch. Or what kind of house will I live in in 10 years from now? Or what shall I wear when I get married when you don't have a partner? Or how will I react if I get cancer? And off goes the fantasy. When we lose interest in one subject that the mind produces, It ups the ante, and it brings in bigger, scarier subjects. That warm sunshine sure feels good today, but what about global warming? What are you doing about global warming? Nothing. You're just sitting here and letting it happen. And how about a nuclear attack by the North Koreans? The military says there's evidence that they're building it. That's when you say to the mind, be realistic. All the worrying in the world will accomplish nothing except making this whole system of body, heart, and mind tie up in knots with anxiety. If there's a nuclear attack, I will respond at the time. And a clear mind will help me do that. Our hope, and eventually our experience, is that the practice we do in the relatively good times, like these three days, will be there when 
will arise spontaneously when we need it in difficult times. So one of our members has a story about that happening. She was in Hawaii with her husband and two friends, and they had arrived at their condominium and settled in for the night, and when they woke up in the morning, all of their phones simultaneously went off with an alert that a nuclear uh, attack had been launched towards Hawaii, which is where they were on vacation. And they were all kind of bewildered, and they went out on the porch of their condominium, and everybody else was out on the porch of the condominium looking at their cell phones. And then a police car went by saying, this is not an exercise. This is real. So then what do you do? You may not live very long. You don't know how long. And the whole context is, this is real. This is really happening. So what did she do? She remembered a retreat on preparing for your own death, which we traditionally do in February, in which we did an exercise where we brought that inevitability closer and closer. So we started with five years to live. What would you do? A year to live. What would you do? A week to live. And we finally arrived at less than an hour to live. What would you do? All communication is cut off. You don't know what's happening except that there's been a nuclear attack. So this became a reality. But fortunately, it had been practiced before. And so immediately, the practice came up in her mind. And she remembered that what she would do, which is what she did in Hawaii, is to tell people how much she loved them and to thank them for being part of her life. So this is when the practice, the true benefit of practice, is revealed in a difficult time, in the times that, if we looked at it from the outside, would seem impossible to remain calm. And yet, practice surfaces, and we're able to touch in again with silent and serene, forgetting words, just doing what's most important. To be ready, to be ready for all of the unexpected things that life will bring us with a clear heart and mind. Also to realize that the mind doesn't tell us the truth. It turned out that wasn't true, and there was an all-clear, but it was quite a while before the all-clear came. So most of us think that year by year, the situation in the world is getting worse. Most of us think that year by year, the situation in the world is getting worse. And some people will say, this is the worst shape the world has ever been in. But there's a beautiful article published every year in the New York Times to let us know the reality. And this year, it was called, Why 2018 Was the Best Year in Human History. So We have to realize that the mind, especially the uninformed mind, is not telling us the truth. So each day, about 300,000 people gain access to electricity. And the main benefit of gaining access to electricity is to women. 
and their children. Each year, about 300,000 people gain access to clean drinking water. The main benefit is to children who die of diarrhea when the water is contaminated. Each year, 620,000 people get online for the first time. And you might think, well, it's better if they didn't get online. But you're online, so you want to deprive other people of being online or having electricity? Never before has such a large portion of humanity been literate. This is from the article. Been literate, lived such long lives, had access to family planning, or been confident that their children would survive. In the 1990s, 30,000 children died each day. This last year, it was cut in half. 15,000 children died each day. Until the 1950s, more than half of humans had always, always, their entire lives lived in extreme poverty. So the definition of extreme poverty is less than $2 a day. And that's adjusted for inflation. So in the 1950s, it was a, a large majority. In 1980s, it was 44%. In 2018, it was less than 10%. And one of the researchers who helps compile these statistics said, every group I ask think the world, the world has become more frightening, more violent, and more hopeless. That is, more dramatic, the mind loves trauma, than it is than it actually is. We have to realize that the mind is not telling us the truth. The mind is the one that tells us the world is more frightening, more violent, more hopeless. You see why working with the mind, working with the heart, mind, is our primary work. The Buddha was very clear, this is the source of our suffering, an untamed mind, an uninformed and an untamed mind. There are a few fundamental questions in our practice, and one of them is why would your mind rather think than be present? Why would it rather fantasize than be present? These are fundamental questions. So you can ask your mind about it, study it, be curious about it. Every time your mind wanders, why would you rather be there than here? Is there something attractive over there that's not present here? Is there something I don't like here that I can eliminate when I go there? Ask your mind about it. We finally begin to be convinced that relaxing the mind and letting go of thought is helpful when insight begins to arise in the space of open mind, in the spaciousness of big mind. You're sitting. Maybe you turned over a problem in your mind, a nagging problem. Then you sit, you let it go, and you return to breathing or listening 
And then suddenly, you see the problem in a new way. A possible solution arises. This is when the clarified mind becomes a channel to prajnaparamita, wisdom beyond wisdom. The channel to wisdom beyond wisdom is always, always open. In fact, there is no channel, there is no barrier. But our constant stream of tangled thoughts and emotions, emotions born of fear, desire, clinging, are what block it, what block our access to it. This is an aspect of right clarity appears before you. Right clarity appears before you. You can't force it to happen. You can clear the ground for it to illuminate your mind. These little insights and eventually much larger revelations, these little insights, as Jogan was saying, are little glimpses that we get. Oh, I see. I open the mind, interesting things happen. These little insights and eventually much larger revelations. These bigger insights, these revelations are wonderful, but they have larger consequences for how you live your life. That can be an alarming discovery when you realize, oh, I have to fundamentally change how I live, what I believe. the operating instruction for my life. Much larger consequences for how you need to change if you want, truly, if you truly want to take off the burdensome backpack of your suffering. One of the consequences of enlightenment is to take ourselves slightly. to realize how impermanent we are, how ephemeral we are, how we're constructed of bits and pieces, none of which contain the self. We begin to take ourselves lightly. Do you want to take yourself lightly? You have to ask yourself that question. Do you want to take yourself and your predicament lightly? I love it when Eckhart Tolle says that me and my predicament. I'm going to ponder it some more. Do you want to take yourself lightly or not? Or do you want to continue to think that your personal burden is the worst and basically unsolvable? That makes you very important. Do you want to have the voice inside that dislikes you? in charge of your life? We have to ask these very fundamental questions. Or do you want to have the voice that thinks you're likable, cute, and funny in charge of your life? (laughs) Through practice, we begin to have a sense of humor about this funny, constructed self and all the strange thoughts that our mind can generate. What if all the mistakes that you've made in life were put on a blooper reel and you could just watch and laugh? 
We love to do that for other people, right? Actors and actresses. Oh, we just love to watch the blooper reels. And usually when they, do you know, what, you know what they do when they make a blooper? They laugh. They laugh with each other. And then they get serious again and go back through the serious line again. <laughs> I was watching one the other day, a show that I used to watch. And, the, and this very serious person is talking next to, next to his horse. And the horse's tail lifts up and the horse starts going poop. <laughs> and now the, all the cast and crew start crack out. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like the horse is saying, that's what I think of how you seriously you're taking yourself. <laughs> to not take ourselves and our predicament so seriously. When you reflect it, you become vast. When you reflect it, what does that mean? Reflecting it, reflecting emptiness? Reflecting luminosity. You become vast. Becoming vast, impacting the world in a positive way, depends upon the mind reflecting emptiness, spaciousness, spending time in the clear light of awareness. Reflecting also refers to the clear mirror. Jewel mirror samadhi. Reflecting things just as they are, not as our mind distorts and twists them. When the mind expands in that way, when we're able to let down the walls and become intimate with everything, inner illumination restores wonder. Many people have had this experience in retreat, as the grass becomes luminous, they can bask in the golden glow of these zendo floorboards. But the little shining bits on the sidewalk become a path of jewels. The wondrous world of a child, a world we have forgotten, practice returns us to that world. Dew in the moonlight, a river of stars, snow-covered pines, clouds enveloping a peak. When we look with ever-fresh eyes, ever-fresh eyes means no ideas behind the eyes, just fresh eyes. We experience the universe beyond the, the stars in the night sky. We see the, skies, the stars in the sky and we penetrate, our mind penetrates through them into the vastness of space. We see the rainbow sparkle of dew diamonds in the grass. We see clouds swirling around a mountain peak like steam from a giant's kettle. And when it snows, a magic world appears. Notice how that happens? When it snows, a magic world appears. We see everything fresh for a while until we don't. Once I was walking through the hospital and they had some low, low windows. 
down low where you could see out into the new garden they had built, because now hospitals have all have healing gardens. And um, as you looked out this window, there was this long grass, and the wind was blowing, and the grass was moving. And uh, adults were a little bit too tall to see it directly, but there was a mom walking with her two children. And the children stopped, transfixed, and they said, Mom, Mom, look, the grass is dancing. And I, w I waited, and she stopped, and she looked with them. She said, yes, it is. Isn't that wonderful? And I thought, bless your heart as a mother that you could drop back into that wonder with them and support it. When wonder exists in serenity, serenity of the heart-mind. When wonder exists in serenity, all achievement is forgotten in illumination. So that mother probably had an achievement in mind. Let's get these kids to their appointment in time. You got to find the right elevator and get up to the right floor and check in and so on. But she forgot her achievement in the illumination of that mind. We see the snow-covered pines in a most intimate way. Oh. 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 And then, and we're lost in awe in their brilliance until the mind closes in again and says, I told you to buy snow tires. What is this wonder? Alertly seeing through confusion is the way of silent illumination and the origin of subtle radiance. The origin of subtle radiance. It all depends upon seeing through thoughts. It all depends upon letting go of words in the mind, being more interested in what is actually true, the taste and texture of squash in the mouth, instead of thoughts about a future gourmet meal. The gourmet meal, the unsurpassable nourishment and contentment of this wondrous life, is here all the time, right here all the time, just waiting for us to turn away from thought and turn towards awareness to treasure peace and quiet, to treasure space in our mind, to be spiritually uplifted, to be restored to wonder. You have been called to this practice. Please continue to respond to the call, to practice as continually as you can, noticing and gently returning, remembering and returning, remembering your true self that calls you to return, back to the only place that you are alive, the only place you are alive, the only place that offers sustained satisfaction, this, this, now, now. 